Today on the show, we've got Darcy Norman. Darcy has over 20 years of experience in the human performance industry. He's currently a performance coach for the US men's national soccer team and director of performance for Kitman Labs. He worked as a performance data analyst and fitness rehab coach with the German men's national team from 2012 to 2018, helping them to win the 2014 World Cup. And after that, he took a director role as director of performance with Italian club AS Roma, where the side outperformed expectation to reach the semi in the UEFA Champions League. Prior to that, Darcy worked as the strength coach and rehab specialist for Bayern Munich, amongst other roles. He's a licensed physical therapist, athletic trainer and strength and conditioning specialist and worked as the director of performance innovation at Exos and as a physical therapist and performance coach at Athletes Performance. In today's conversation, Darcy speaks openly about his current role with the US national team and what they are looking to achieve. And I hope you enjoy some of the insights he provides from his wealth of experience and diverse background. This episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of the Force Frame. Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy-to-use system, the force frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured, time after time again. To learn more about the force frame, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. So welcome to another edition of Informed Performance Podcast. My name's Ben Ashworth, and today on the show, it's a real pleasure to welcome Darcy Norman. Welcome to the show, mate. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. I know we've chatted about this for a while, so it's great to... Uh great to make it happen yeah absolutely so first things first Darcy can you give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and sort of take us up to where you where you are at the moment yeah I'll try and keep it uh, short and sweet so grew up in Canada grew up uh, you know playing a bunch of sports ski racing was my sport which got me down to college in the U.S. ended up with degrees in kinesiology pre-med or biology and and uh and physical therapy. So ended up being certified in athletic trainer, strength coach, and, and uh, uh, physical therapist. Um, ended up having a private practice in Seattle when I was done with all my, my schooling, and um, then joined what was Athletes Performance back in 03, which is now Exos. Um, wanted to get back to the mountains, so we moved to Lake Tahoe, California, which is where I'm currently based now, um, with a few stints over to, to Europe both working in professional cycling, um, Bayern Munich, the German national team, um, then uh, came back, went back to Europe uh, and worked at Rome as the director of performance there. Um, and then, you know, came back to get our kids out of school and and uh, joined, had the opportunity to join Greg Bearhalter uh, as the new head coach of the U.S. men's national team and then also get on um, with another passion of mine, which is, you know, kind of data and, and the use of data. And so uh, got on board with Kitman Labs and really excited about both journeys. I mean, we've already given the listeners a bit of a 25-minute introduction to your background as well. And, you know, I know you've spoken about one of your strengths before as being the breadth of experience. And sh- certainly that's uh, that's massive, you know, from a from a an appreciation of all the ends of the spectrum going into a performance environment. 
I want to start with Kitman because actually that's where we we came across each other properly for the first time. Um, and one of the things Kitman talks about is like the actual sort of add-on or added value of you working with teams to try and have an impact essentially with this data analysis. So, you know, lots of companies are doing it. Lots of companies have got data. Um, what is it that's special about what you're doing with Kitman um, around how you're integrating with teams, first of all, Dazzy? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a great question. Big answer. Um, I would say the first one is that we're actually trying to understand what the goals the teams are trying to accomplish. So we go through what's called a performance discovery process with the teams to really sit down and understand, you know, okay, they're on this data journey and everyone's on their own, you know, their own journey has had their own experiences, whether they've tried to build stuff on their own or try to do different data analysis within their organizations, you know, if they've been successful, if they failed and how come and all these pieces. So really trying to understand what they're trying to do. So in two, three, five years, if everything was running perfectly, what would that look like? And then, you know, what has kind of kept them from that, um, achieving those goals to this point and, and essentially kind of reverse engineering that process to see how our tools and experience can help them achieve that. So, you know, we got a team of applied uh, performance specialists. Uh, I sit in our kind of performance strategist role. Um, and then we have a full-blown data science team um, besides all the engineers and UI people that are building the platform. And so, um, you know, we got a lot of, of, you know, people that have come from high level sport, given their input on, on how to move these things forward. And then once that happens, we create a kind of a, essentially a project list of what we're trying to accomplish and the timelines that we're going to go after it and get them done and, and away we go. And then we're, you know, revisiting those quarterly, um, to make sure we're not, you know, expectations are met and we're not running into um, any obstacles or hurdles that we have to kind of sort out. And uh, yeah, then it's just a very iterative process in, in moving them forward. And, you know, I think that the one thing that people got to understand is this is a new frontier, essentially, right? Like, you know, we've been around a while and we've been dealing with data for a while for sure. But in the grand scheme of things, the things that we're trying to do, the things that we're trying to accomplish, the newer innovations and technologies that are out there, it's all brand new. And so a lot of the things you come across, um, you know, people haven't solved for yet. And so you're trying to figure out what's the best way to solve for this. And it, and like any complex system, you know, you uncover a couple problems or solve for a few problems and that uncovers or creates a new set of problems that you got to go solve for. And so, you know, having the fortitude to, to hammer through all those things to, to get you where you need to go. So I would say that's the big one. And then the platform itself is, you know, an intelligence platform that, you know, aggregates all your medical data, your performance data, um, technical, tactical data, whatever, you know, kind of questionnaires or wellness subjective information um, so that you can do analysis on it in real time, almost like applied research um, within the system. And we actually have a, a new tool that's, you know, from doing all these bespoke data analysis with teams, which is one of the things that we offer, 
um, you know, what are the common pieces that these teams keep asking for? And so we're going to be launching this risk advisor um, product where essentially you build the model just like you would do any kind of research. You'd figure out what your end value is. Um, what are the constraints of what you're trying to apply? And then, you know, the system runs the model and produces a SHAP plot of what are the relatable metrics that are leading up to the question that you're trying to answer around this particular injury, injuries, group of injuries. And and then so you have a transparent view of, of um, you know, where that risk is coming from. And so you can then go actually do something about it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just trying to take all the stuff that we've been doing in, in our respective teams um, and, and put them in an automated way that, you know, more people have access to greater, greater abilities. It must be great to be practicing in a performance environment yourself and having exposure to working with the people who are involved with Kitman on a day-to-day basis and then applying that with some of the best teams. So on that ground, you know, what insights have you gained from your Kitman experiences that have perhaps influenced the way you're now working with the US national team? Seems like a yeah. great, uh, for, you know, melting pot for, for your own development. Absolutely. And I think, you know, anybody listening to this will probably be nodding their head up and down. Um, when I say this, I would say the biggest common denominator is a clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish and how you're trying to accomplish it. And, you know, I, I didn't really appreciate it um, until I got to Rome when I was responsible for putting that mission and vision in place. I always thought that kind of stuff was cliche, business books. Um, but until we did it and saw the power of it and the direction that, you know, when you can get, you know, when people realize what their own values are and how they can be put together in a shared value system you know, what that can do to, to, to really bring a group together to execute on a plan is unbelievable. And so, you know, since that, that's, those are the, the people that I've searched out to, to work with and work for, um, are people that have that kind of similar mindset. And that's exactly, you know, kind of what we have with the national team. And so super fortunate to, you know, be working with Greg Bearhalter and all the technical, uh, tactical staff to Steve Tastian, who, you know, um, who's got boatloads of experience and, and, and certainly believes in those ideals. Jordan uh, Webb, um, another, you know, phenomenal strength coach, a sports science guy. Um, and then the whole medical team with Kenny and Ron and, and uh, you know, the group. It's, it's, been, it's been awesome. And we'll come on to that uh, stuff that you're doing with the national team because I know, you know, you're, you're, you've got your own vision, which we'll talk about a bit later and happy to share a lot of the great stuff that you're doing there. Um, I want to get a little bit more sort of granular around some of these specific almost I suppose what the question I'm asking is like what's what's best practice out there with some of the teams you you have been exposed to so they've got these values and beliefs and they've got this vision and everything's aligned but are there any sort of examples you can give without maybe giving away names of of what that looks like so that the listeners can perhaps get a bit more insight into into a specific example yeah, I mean, I, I can use, you know, the national team as an example. Um, you know, our mission is to change the way the world views American soccer. 
And, you know, how do you do that in your respective areas? You know, the players have to do it on the field with how they behave and how they execute game plans and play. Um, we as a performance staff have to do that on, you know, taking the best practices of performance, trying to integrate them in a holistic way and, and get the buy-in of the, the staff and the players to move forward. And, and the coaches have to do that from a planning, communication, education, uh, you know, from their end. And so, you know, the biggest way I think to do that is be hundred percent transparent and, you know, that when you're, when you're transparent in what you're doing, you certainly get a lot of feedback, <laughs> good, bad, or different. <laughs> and, uh, but if you're open to it, you know, then you start to, you know, see like, oh yeah, wow. Never really thought about that. That's, that's great. Let's add it into the mix or how do we add it into the mix? What are the constraints we have that we can't add it into the mix? And then there's, you know, when we go into camps, we do kind of pre and post mortems. So Greg sets out the objectives for what we're trying to achieve and in, in the respective camps. Um, as a group, we sit down and talk about them before we get going and how we're going to execute them. And then, um, and then, you know, we do the postmortems after the camps. Did we achieve them? Why not? What do we do better next time to move it forward? And, you know, when we're constantly reviewing our, our values, you know, which is, is like, you know, preparation, have a plan, make a better plan, communication. You can't over, you know, you can't communicate enough selflessness. Um, so, you know, anytime you can help out just like a soccer team, sometimes a defender's got to, uh, uh, you know, play forward. And sometimes the forward's got to defend with the goal of getting the ball in the net. And, and it's no different in our, in our group. And so it's a, it's a, just an extremely integrated, um, group of people that, you know, uh, are communicating openly, honestly, to build that trust factor. And then, you know, trying to iterate things on how can we do this better constantly. And so, you know, with what we've been able, with the structure that Greg has set up in the team, it's allowed everybody to take the organizational ability and execution to a, to a level that I've never been a part of um, until now. And it really shows you what is possible if people kind of set their egos aside, you know, all um, dig into uh, a common, a common uh, shared mission and uh, you know, with some clear values and, and get after it. So um yeah, it's been it's been exciting, and like I said, it's it, it's been it's been great to of what we've been able to accomplish. Like even from our data and the integration of how we program and plan with the coaching staff, and how we're able to forecast, you know, probably within about five percent or less, a lot of times how much a guy is going to run in a particular training session, um, and then you know the the coach saying, "Hey, this is what I need to get out of it," and Steve, who does a lot of our on field planning. Um, saying, okay, based on those constraints, I, you know, we're right where we need to be and, and, you know, based on long-term plan and, and, you know, it's just this constant iterative process, but it takes a lot of trust and communication to make those things happen. There'd be a lot of people who've put together some really nice low projection models that aren't being used <laughs> by coaches. So <laughs> there'll be, there'll be people throwing, they'll probably be swerving off the road listening to this or you know going god's sake i need to go and work in the u.s that sounds like a phenomenal environment so yeah yeah and i mean it's it depends like you you've been with some unbelievable teams right and organizations and you and you see it right away you know which whatever whoever is leading the group so whether it's heads of performance or 
you know, heads of medical or head coaches, like it's pretty telling right away. Are they inclusive, you know, and and willing to build that trust and, and have a clear vision or not? And I think, you know, when you said, what are some of the telling signs? Those, if people can clearly articulate what they're trying to accomplish, I'm like, okay, these guys are, you know, they're probably on a good way. If it's back and forth or you talk to three or four different people within their organization, they're all telling you different things, then, you know, it's probably, uh, they probably got work to do. Yeah, we spoke a bit off off air actually, and I wanted to wanted to um, talk to you about this because you you know you you've worked in the club environment. You're now working for a national team, and communication between club and country isn't always seamless, as you know. But it sounds like you've got to a really nice place where you're openly sharing information with clubs. And can you share a bit of that with the listeners? It sounds like a a utopia again. Yeah, I mean, it comes back so. I think, you know, if you look at trust being the number one piece, right, to making all this stuff work, um, then you, A, you have to be transparent and you have to be vulnerable to criticism and um, feedback. And so that's with our interactions with the respective teams and groups, you know, that's how we look at it. And so if anybody wants to know what we're doing, we're more than happy happy to talk through it and show them, you know, what we're doing. Um, and so our thought, you know, is working in a club, you know, one of the frustrations, uh, that, that I had and as did Steve and others was that when our players went to the national teams, we had no idea what, um, what they did, you know, when they got back. And so you're trying to put them back into the mix and move them along. Um, and so we vowed right from the, from the get go is that we're going to try and keep track of everything we do. Um, and we're going to make it readily available to, to the players, to their clubs and their ownership. So they have, they know exactly what that guy's done when he's with us. And then, you know, Jordan built out some phenomenal systems so that any team can log into the system, um, at any time and see what that player has done. Um, and so they can get it in real time as the data goes up into the system, they can see it. So daily they can monitor their player from afar. And then after camp, they can download that data and we work hard to put it in formats that they can, you know, put it up into their system. So they have this continuity of data. And, and so as a result of that, um, we just ask for that back from the teams. And we know that not all teams have maybe the resources that we have or the technical ability or, you know, even the the experience to put those kind of structures together. Um, so, you know, we're also willing to work with them to help them in that process and, and, and move along if they needed. But, you know, the response has been phenomenal. If you kind of take that first step to put out your hand and, you know, then usually the teams have been great um, to, to reciprocate. So, you know, we ask for four weeks of data before players come into camp. So we can kind of put them into our models and see, you know, how they're going to phase out based on what we have planned out. And we share our plan with the teams so they can see what their player, you know, if they were to play all three games, what would that look like from a loading perspective? And then as the data is actualized, um, you know, day to day from training that goes up and they can, they can see it and pull it and, um, yeah, it's been great. Like, again, it just comes back to that trust, transparency and, and openness. 
Yeah, it's, it's it sounds great. And I think, you know, from a player individualization perspective, um, I suppose when you're working with a, well, when you're working with a national team, if you're there for a while, you start to build a really good picture of that, those players and what it looks like for them in a, in a training camp environment or maybe a competition block where you get them for that condensed period of time and then, and then they go back. So it's, it's nice that you've got this lead-in information when they come to you. They're not coming in cold. Um, you can start to look at the data in the way you look at data anyway over that sort of long, long period of time. So I suspect that helps you individualize a little bit more when they're with you. Um, is there anything else you, you do to specific with players to individualize things within a, within a national team environment? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like anything in a team sport. You kind of go to the lowest con- common denominator first, right? And then you start to peel the layers. And so, you know, in part of the information that we get back from the player or the teams around the players um, is, um, you know, lifting, individual programming, um, those things besides kind of their their independent workloads. We get nutrition, supplementation, information uh, that we have so we can, you know, we kind of have our, what we call our pill boxes, um, you know, that we fill them up so they can keep on with that. Um, you know, we're sharing blood values. So when we go to train it and play like this upcoming window, um, you know, playing at altitude, we need to make sure that their iron and vitamin D supplementation is up to snuff for recovery and performance reasons at altitude. And, um, so we're communicating with the clubs on that and trying to get plans put in place. So, you know, we realize that the player is, is, you know, it's the club's player. That's who they play for. And so we're just the facilitator to keep them moving and operating at a high level so they can, you know, obviously perform well for us and and continue to perform well for the club. And if they can do both, then that's, everyone's going to be successful, not only the player, but both teams, um, in, in moving the needle forward. So, you know, when it, as far as when it comes into camp, we start out with, a we call it like a first level movement screen. And essentially it's a yoga session, um, that we do in smaller groups, um, that everyone, all our, our practitioners participate in from a, an evaluation standpoint, but I'll lead it. And it's just, like I said, if you were a, a passerby would think they were doing some kind of yoga stretching session. And we just go take the guys through a bunch of ranges of motion, um, at end ranges. So the, you know, the various practitioners in the room can assess and see like, Ooh, something look amiss, you know, is one side look worse than another. Or, you know, when I get and rotate over one shoulder, they're, they're going all the way around and the other one, they're going half as much. Um, and so we do that. And then from there in our performance meetings, we're taking in the information from the clubs, the first level movement screen, and then we're building out the week for the, for the team based on, you know, the needs that we have as well as the team. And, uh, and then, you know, we travel kind of gym in a bag and we've been using a product, uh, called beaver fit, which is this kind of beaver fit box that articulates up to, a to, a, a, a squat rack essentially that you can hang TRXs and bands. And we use another product called Anchor, which is a traveling pulley system. Um, and then we also travel with a couple power blocks, you know, from dumbbells. So, you know, by no means is it a perfect gym, but it at least allows us to get, um, to, to, to be able to, you know, do the programming with the players the best way possible. And then we try and pick locations that have better accessibility to, you know, gyms with better equipment and so forth. So 
that kind of goes into the planning side. So we're, we're setting these guys up for success in every, every way, shape or uh, shape and, and, you know, getting in the, into it. And then, you know, I think for a lot of teams, it's the consistent touch points with the, the medical staff, the wellness questionnaires, monitoring the data as they're doing it on a day-to-day base to see how they're responding, you know, before training, getting them in for any nuanced stuff that they need. Um, and then just, yeah, monitor, manage and, and, and repeat, um, and, you know, and then track all that and give it back to the clubs as, as we go forward. And there's been times where we'll do individual evaluations, whether it's video movement evaluations, 1080 sprint force velocity profiling, um, things like that, that we share all those reports back with the, with the clubs. Um, so, you know, with any things that we see that they could possibly benefit for, from and, and keep uh, the player moving in the right direction. Sounds pretty comprehensive work there, mate. Um, I'm, going to go back a little bit to something you said earlier uh, take a bit of a right turn uh, you're talking about the technical tactical side of things and it sounds like you know you're well integrated in your current environment um, how how do you how do you integrate the technical tactical with the physical because one of the one of the problems that we all face when we're trying to support coaches essentially is to enable them to play the way they want to play to train the players they want to train you know and that's um that can come up against some some big differences so how are you integrating that tactical and perhaps physical information yeah uh it's a great question um because yeah being with a guy that you know worked with 11 coaches in in, over a 13 year span uh sometimes it was a lot of reinventing the wheel and and um I think the first is, you know, trying to really understand what they're trying to accomplish. Right. And, and I think everyone's got the the greatest um, needs of everybody in mind. It's just how you choose to get there. And, you know, luckily Steve and Greg had worked a lot together at Columbus prior. And so had some really good systems in place that they just brought with them to the national team to help, you know, move the needle forward quicker. Um, and so, you know, we just see what the goals of the day are based on, you know, is this a preseason camp? Are we, are we in a little window that we're just trying to keep guys moving? So is the focus going to be recovery or not? And what things based off this data that we're getting from teams and how many minutes guys have played, what we're anticipating. So it kind of comes back to that one value, have a plan, make a better plan. So we kind of plan out all these different scenarios to see how we can adjust. Um, and I'll tell you a little example of that uh, after this, but um, you know, from there we have a drill library that Jordan has built out and a, a whole drill planner calculator. So Steve can go in there and say, okay, you know, our projected load might be whatever, 2000 or maybe 3000 meters of distance and only 800 meters of HML. We use stat sport as our, as our tool, GPS tool with so many Excels and D cells. And so, you know, Greg will be like, okay, we're going to warm up. We're going to do a possession game. Here's some rules of the games and we're going to get into some functional activity. And then we're going to finish with some game forms, some small sided games. And uh, you know, and here's the objectives and principles that we're, we're trying to accomplish. And so we go into our drill builder, we pick the rules, we pick the games, we look at historical data based on those rules and filters and, you know, we can get a really good idea of what the guys are going to be able to do in that training uh, session. And so, you know, Steve will plan out a whole training camp and then, you know, we'll, as the camp's going along and see how we're doing, we'll, you know, massage it. 
and uh, and then you know then we go out and actualize it. And so you know trying to ac- accomplish what we want objectively, what we want you know physically, um, technically, tactically. So we're you know all those pieces are in mind when that session's being built and executed on, and uh, yeah, then it's going do it, and then you know if 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 our numbers are way off from that day, we're like, what happened? Oh, you know maybe Greg got a little fired up and let the functional exercises go too long, and that you know through our numbers, and so how can we rein that in a little bit, or you know maybe we didn't have enough. Um, drills in our drill library to really give us some accurate numbers. And so Jordan's even built some statistical tools so we can see what our, our reliability and variability in the drills are to, to get that number that we're looking to, to, to use. So, um, yeah, it's a team effort all, all, all the way around, but man, when everybody's, you know, pulling their weight and doing what they need to, you can do some amazing things. It's, it's great to, it's great to be a part of it for sure. So no one's running around setting themselves on fire when someone's done five extra meters as own six then. No, I mean, you know, there, there is variability. And I think we all realize that, okay, we set this number, but you know, yeah, to your point, if you go 10 over 15 over 20 over, like the world is not going to end. You're just, you know, how do we set this target? And then that's where you massage the, the later days, you know, to compensate for any of that stuff and looking at the, you know, Hey, if we go at this pace, yeah, we might do 2000 extra meters that we weren't anticipating. And that might be a problem. Um, because you know, those little decisions add up over time. And so it's just, if you have awareness in those day to days, it makes the, the bigger picture items a lot tighter in the long run. Right, we've warmed you up now, so I'm going to ask a direct question, uh, largely because if you give me the right answer that I'm looking for, I'll use I'll use you and quote you and your experience to help me in my environment. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's see. <laughs> so, match day minus two, two days before a match. What is optimal in terms of the kind of volume intensity of a session? Obviously, there's people who won't understand GPS metrics, but be as be as like granular as you can there, and oh, I'm going to hold wow. you to this, whatever you answer. There we go. All right, perfect. Um, I would say so. I'm going to kick it off with it depends, and you can do whatever oh. the hell you want um, because <laughs> I think what really depends on that game day minus two, um, which is all critical, right? Like this is kind of that other piece is understanding people's mental models of what did you do before that and what's coming after that? And, and then what's the intention of what you did before that? And then, uh, you know, what the intention is for what's coming after that. And so in our particular model, and it, and it changes just based on where we think we can get what we need from a loading perspective. So we might start high and finish low, um, you know, as it relates to a game. So you might do a game day minus three, you know, is your big loading day, we drop it a little bit, really drop it game day before, and then, you know, you play your game. Um, it, you know, I would say our, our kind of our default model would be, you know, we would train hard that game day three, four and have more of a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a Excel decel day, leg loading, high speed day, more open pitches. And then that game day minus two, 
um, would be a lower day, you know, two to three K really low HML, very minimal excels, D cells in that 25 bucket. Um, you know, so, so really easy and then, you know, bring it back up before the day and then bang it out, you know? Um, so, but as you know, there's a, a ton of different ways to model this stuff out and the human body's adaptable. And so, you know, you're just trying to figure out and that's where when we get these projections put together, you know, if guys have been used to modeling one way and we're doing it another, what do we need to consider to maybe like, hey, you know what, we'll put this guy, we'll kind of maintain his modeling with what he was doing. So where we really need him are in these two drills and then, you know, he'll be out and we can do something and we can pick it up in other ways, you know, on the next day to, to make sure it all works out in the wash. And so I think that's where your systems and how they're created and, you know, being able to kind of sushi menu, you know, the different pieces and, and have creativity in that allows you to do that and, and kind of comes back to your individualization question as well. No, you gave the exact right answer. So I'm, I was really happy with that. <laughs> I, I'm going to edit out the it depends and just literally give that direct right, answer that yeah. you gave uh, for, the, for our listeners. <laughs> just going to set you right up. <laughs> That's great. Oh, no, it's, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. I, I Obviously, I'm tongue in cheek there. I think, you know, from experience, you, you know, as you say, massaging it, and it does depend on the weak load. Um, it, I, I toy with it a little bit in terms of, you know, the individual, again, some people like to do something a little bit more, you know, different sports, different cultures, different environments as well. You see people who want to go harder on days where you want them to recover a little bit more. So it's, there, there is some scope within the program to make those adjustments. And I think that's right. And, you know, when, when we were at Arsenal, we used to sort of look at the, the minus two day, um, as being, pretty critical and certainly the combination of the minus two minus one and we started to correlate that against the performances on match day to see you know was it affecting them in terms of that output and performance you know if we went too high on those days in total did that then affect basically what was left in the tank for the game which was ultimately what we were trying to prepare for yeah 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 and then that accumulation effect yeah. And then the accumulation effect, I think you could get, get away with it, you know, maybe one game or two games, but when you're going, you know, an English week, it, you know, and that starts stacking up and you keep making that mistake, like something's going to give. Yeah. Game five, it doesn't matter what data you collect or what you're doing. If you do five in a row, your fingers crossed in, on the bench going, please, please get these boys, get these boys through this. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so that that sort of leads us nicely on. We've we've worked out that the US team is now beautifully planning uh, and loads and managing loads. So that that's great from an injury perspective. Recovery, right? So I'll, I'll kick this off, and I think you're gonna. I think I've heard you speak about this before, and, and there's some similar sort of thoughts. I'm always concerned when coaches kind of go, "Well, we're going to train hard, and we're going to then regenerate harder." Right. So it's like we are we're going to maximize this recovery period to get over what we've just basically overloaded. Now, you've talked about efficiency before, and I just wanted to pick your brains on kind of recovery and how you how you see it based on your experiences. Yeah. Um, 
probably another kind of high level, right? Because recovery comes in a lot of forms, mentally, physically, um, you know, in that regard. I think even your communication of objectives, um, it, it, it leads to how well your players recover. Because if you like, if you set it up and say, hey, Ben, you know, and there's, I think, some classic leadership stories around this stuff. Um, like, hey, Ben, this is going to be a freaking hard week. You know, it's it's going to be crushing. We're going to run the hell out of you this week. Um, but then, you know, and we're going to have this one day, we'll recover, and then we're going to play this game. Then you got some recovery afterwards, and we're going to dial you in exactly the way you need to be. But it's going to be hard, and you're going to need to, you're going to, need to rise to the occasion. You know, you're like, whew. Okay. Uh, you know what? I, I'm let me, let me soak that in, get it on board. And then, you know, away we go and be like, all right, Ben, this is the hard day, buddy. You know, here's where we really got to get it out of you. And, you know, and you're working be like, Ben, it's not hard enough. I know, you know, I know you got a couple more sprints in you. Okay. I'm trying. Okay, great. And then, you know, we go on to the next day and we're constantly communicating with you where you're sitting and how you're doing when it comes to that recovery day, you're like, dude, I did exactly what they wanted. They're super happy. And like, I feel good about that. And by the way, like I did way harder, like that last coach I had, like he ran the shit out of me and like, that was brutal. This was nothing. Um, you know, I think mentally right there, a, they know you have a plan. They know you're organized. Um, and they know that you're kind of put together with what you're doing. So from that side of it, that trust in like, I, I trust them that they know I will be ready and, uh, and, and to perform. And then, you know, it's all the other good stuff of just, you know, the soft tissue stuff, providing all the different environments, whether it's, you know, the cold plunge, getting in the pool, unloading the joints, seeing family, hanging out with friends, dinners, laughing, joking, you know, um, getting some games together, like all that stuff to build that, that, you know, on top of it, um, I think is critical to the overall picture where it's not just like, Hey, we're going to work and then you're going to rest and then we're going to work again. And then you're going to rest. It's a lot more dynamic as you know, um, in, in that picture. And so, I think, again, it comes back to planning, organizing, organizing, and how can you maximize those environments so you're getting it from, you know, group healing, individual healing, you know, both mentally, physically, um, and then individually based on what they need, what their needs are. And so, you know, one of the other uh, things that like for the World Cup, for instance, it was all about convenience. And so the way we had our place set up, um, you know, by the ping pong table, it was outside. We had some cold plunges. So the guys would play and they're like, all right, loser has to get in the cold plunge or, you know, and then you throw a few foam rolls or, or sticks there. And, and, you know, while guys were watching, they're like, oh, I might as well get on a foam roll or a stick. And so there's all these like little conveniences as well and availabilities that they don't have to go out of their way to make it happen. They can just make it happen in their day to day, it kind of flows, you know, it's like when you're, you know, you go to, you start at home, you go to work and on the way you got a nice coffee shop and one just leads to another, you roll in, get your work, you roll out, you pick up your groceries and the flowers for the wife and roll home and, you know, everything is bliss. That's what we aspire to. Doesn't always happen, but that's what we aspire to. 
I think uh, the other thing, the other thing around, uh, other thing around recovery is, you know, do you do you think that, for example, stronger players recover faster? Oh, is that yeah, yeah? Is and, that something yeah. you believe in? Yeah, hundred percent. Right, like, yeah. and I think you can do the two fitness, like you can have fitness, right, the metabolic piece, or you and you can do the strength, like if we look at it in the weight room, and both apply, right? Like, the more fit I am the the like the higher my threshold then if we have two guys one's got a higher threshold one's got a lesser of a threshold and they're both running speeds right below the the low guy's threshold his work is going to be a lot harder you know for him than the guy with the high threshold and the same thing on the strength side if one guy is way stronger and and another guy is not as strong and you're doing activity that's right below the not as strong guy that's going to be a lot harder on his system than the guy that's really strong. So in theory, I think you can make guys more fit by having them pound for pound as strong as possible, hundred percent. And, and not yeah. only from the muscle tissue perspective, but just the overall, um, recovery. Cause you're like, if, again, if, if one guy is fit and stronger than another guy and they're both doing the 12 K in a certain, you know, certain way, it's it's just not going to be as demanding on the guy that's more fit and stronger bottom line and so they won't have worked as hard they'll recover quicker because their expenditure relatively will be lower yeah and then on the flip side and i i believe this having worked with a few pretty high performing players from the physical perspective on the pitch um you know there's some players that it doesn't matter if they're you know however strong they are their demands on the pitch are so high that that if you don't look after them in a different way to the others, they are going to have some issues. I mean, I can think of some box-to-box mid- mid- midfielders and other people who are just overreaching a lot of the time, you know. And, okay, you can say you can bring their capacities up, which we we have done, but then beyond that, it's just these super performers, the ones that hit, you know, the 12Ks, the ones that, in terms of volume, the ones that hit massive amounts of high-intensity distances. Um yeah, it's a it's a big challenge to cope with those guys. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's where that kind of car analogy always works well, right? Like if you have a Ferrari, if you have a high horsepower engine, you know, in a in a Volkswagen frame, that frame's going to get twisted and beat up, right? From hitting the accelerators, the brakes and and just roasting that thing's going to get all torqued. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is build a better suspension, build a better frame, have, you know, more resilient brakes. And, and, um, you know, so that they can tolerate those demands. And, and the goal is obviously building a car that's can handle the, the day in day out of the racing, kind of like the Le Mans, right? Like, you know, they build a car that can handle that. Um, then, you know, they, they can race longer. They can race, uh, um, at a more consistent and, and reliable tempo. Yeah. I think that brings, brings us kind of nicely onto a sort of return to play model as well. So, you know, often there's this, um, it's semantics, but people talk about return to play or return to performance or, you know, return to training. And I'm, I'm quite clear when we try and set return targets that we say, well, this is return to training. This is return to one game. So it's like play, but return to performance is about sustainability. Like you're talking about there, basically, conditioning that player to be able to cope not just with that first performance but then 
especially in the climate we are with those repeated, you know, two performances in seven days and maybe even more. Is there anything you sort of change when you're looking at that return to play aspect with regard to kind of putting or getting conditioning into these guys earlier to ensure that they can manage themselves better and sustain performances when they come back to that, yeah. that pitch related? Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, it's, that's a, a whole nother topic, right. That you could run conferences off of and, um, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about this is that there is so much you can do, you know, as you know, while somebody is injured, that will benefit them in the greater good when they get to back to, to whatever that performance is, right? So, you know, like a classic one is maybe you're an ACL person, um, you know, and you're spinning the bike for range of motion. It's early on in your rehab. You're not running, obviously. Um, but you know, after a couple of weeks, like you're spinning a bike, you know, so why not spin that bike at a tempo with a, a, a metabolic heart rate that will improve your aerobic ability, um, in that, why not create some planning where you might do some carbohydrate periodization to improve fat adaptation to, you know, help with performance, you know, down that road. And then, you know, as you do that early on in the rehab, um, that'll have a knock-on effect of what capacities you've given them for when they do start to run or get back to the team. And, and so, yeah, it, it, I think there's a ton of things that we can do. And it's a little bit near and dear to my heart because my, my daughter, um, who just is, is kind of making her way to be a pro snowboarder, unfortunately tore her ACL. Um, and so, you know, like she's a month out. And we're doing wall drills in preparation for running and loading and all these things. And she's a month, you know, kind of post ACL, but at the same time, she's working on her quad sets and her extension and all her pillar stability, but in the, in the, in the structure of kind of running form, you know? Um, and so there's a ton of those little things that you can do, um, you know, if it's just well thought out and you kind of question current um, kind of thinking um, yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do that will help that knock on effect for sure for when they come back rather than feeling like, Oh, we can't do this until we get to there. And we can't do that until we get to there. There's a lot of things you can kind of game, game of, uh, what do they say? Gamification or gamify to, to get you there quicker. Yeah. The, what can you do, uh, rather than the, what can't you do is, is definitely my, my philosophy as well. And, you often get to a point when you're sort of return to play and you're monitoring stuff and you go, hang on a second, we've we've gone for the last two weeks on the pitch and actually we we really haven't got in enough of this. You know, and on reflection, it sort of comes back to what you were saying about this plan do review is how do you create these feedback loops so you don't miss stuff as it's happening so that you make sure you get in the conditioning when you can, even though you can't maybe do it so much on the pitch. And then how does that sort of swap over when you get back onto the pitch? You know, what, what other stuff can you continue to do to make sure you don't, you know, like neglect strength work as an example to, to you don't neglect maybe some of the conditioning elements that they haven't been able to necessarily do because of the short nature of the injury. Those, those bits and pieces are, they require a really good team that's open and can point those things out to each other. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you hit it right on the right on the nose for sure. 
Darcy, I am, you know, conscious of your time and it's been a real pleasure to uh, to get you on the show and just have a chat, mate. Um, I didn't know where this conversation was going, but um, uh, <laughs> with the two of us on here, it could have been quite general, but I've really, really enjoyed it and uh, I'm sure the listeners will have too. The, the last thing to say is... Um, where can people find you like to follow you or get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, hey, thank you for the time. It's been great and long overdue to get together for sure. I know our, our worlds have kind of gone apart with you going to the other side of Europe and, and me back to North America. Um, so it's been great to get together and talk shop and, and we'll definitely have to do this more. Um, as far, I'm not a big social media guy. Uh, I think I'm just too, too busy at times to, to do too much on social media, but, uh, at Darcy Norman, uh, on Twitter, um, I'm, I'm learning how to use Instagram, uh, through my kids and Snapchat. So I'm probably aging myself a little bit on that one. Uh, linked, I'm on LinkedIn. You can email me at either Darcy at kitmanlabs.com. Um, happy. I kind of pride myself in getting back to people. Um, it may not be that moment, but you know, within some days and then my, uh, D Norman at ussoccer.org is, uh, my national team email as well. So, uh, yeah, always happy to hear from people. Always happy to hear how we can do things better, whether it's new equipment on the market, new techniques, new, whatever, you know, we're always looking to try and, uh, get the most out of, out of things. So, um, yeah, happy to hear from anybody. And to the listeners, he means it as well because I reached out to Darcy, and he's certainly been someone who I've I've kept in touch with, and uh, has been great on that front. So thanks for that, Darcy. It's been great, great to have you on the I show. Appreciate you reaching out. Uh, of course, mate, no problem. Um, I last thing to say is good luck to your daughter in her rehab and recovery, and hope she smashes it out of the park. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's all part of the journey as, as devastating as those can be. I think you learn a lot in the process. And so her new focus of, of learning is strength and conditioning therapy. Uh, I've even joked with her cause she's kind of writing her own plans and programs and she's really getting into it. So, um, we're kind of turning it into a bit of an education piece. And I told her that at the rate she's going, she'll be able to sit for her license exams. Uh, <laughs> what she's what she's back in action she'll just need the formality of the of the classes but uh the practical side she'll she'll have it down perfect it sounds like she's going to do you out of a job soon mate yeah hey that's okay it's uh i'll, I'll take it i'm ready I'm, I'm probably ready for retirement anyway this horse could probably go to pasture <laughs> all right thanks again mate all the best all right take care